0: Hey listeners, let's talk for a moment about success. Success can mean a lot of things, money, fame, family, even just making it to tomorrow. But for every kind of success, there are those born close to it and those who have to strive and struggle to reach the top. On Started From The Bottom, a new show from Pushkin Industries, Host Justin Richman interviews people with humble origins who managed to scale the summit of success. People who are outsiders, people not part of the old boys network, people who grew up in a world where almost nobody went to college. How did they beat the odds? Hear their stories in their own words. From media firebrand Charlemagne God to personal finance guru Susie Orman, to heavyweight fighting champion Frances Ngannou. For those who aspire, listen to Started From The Bottom, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi everyone, I'm Ann Helen Peterson and this is Work Appropriate. So, there are a few screenshots of digital calendars that float around social media, haunting me. I can't remember if they're from like Google Calendar or Outlook. I have no idea if they're real or whose calendars they are, but they are overflowing absolutely jam-packed with meetings. We're talking no space to eat, let alone pee or think. Now, these screenshots have gone viral not because they're some extreme, but because they're just one small step away from so many desk workers' experience of the workday, particularly since the beginning of the pandemic. There's one meeting that rolls straight into the next, so many meetings that could have been an email or that have no agenda or that no one's prepared for, thus necessitating yet another meeting. The idea that every problem, every issue, every roadblock in your organization can and should be solved by a meeting, that's meeting culture. And it's a real problem for most organizations I know. When I asked for questions and quandaries related to meetings, there was a flood. You have lots and lots of meeting problems. So who could we have come on the show to actually address your meeting quandaries? I wanted someone with a lot of insight into how companies work today, but also some experience with how a company can actually try to change their own meeting culture run amok.
1: My name is Christina Janzer, and I'm the Senior Vice President of Research Analytics at Slack, and I'm also a co-founder of the Future Forum. Can you tell me about the Future Forum? Because
2: I think that is where I personally draw on a lot of my information about the way that the future of work is changing and then also how meetings are changing. So what is the Future Forum and and what is your interest in it? So the
1: Future Forum is a research consortium that is backed by Slack um, and a few other founding partners, BCG, Miller-Knoll, and Management Leadership for Tomorrow, and we study the future of work. Um, So my team conducts a ton of research, including a quarterly pulse that we send to 10,000 desk workers around the world. And we share that research and we bring executives together to help design a way of working that is flexible, inclusive, and connected. And I'm a researcher. I love research. It's so fun. But I also just feel very passionate about making work better. And I want to make it better for me. I want to make it better for my kids. I want to make it better for everyone. So it's a fun thing to research, that's for sure. Two things that I always talk about when I talk about
2: the future forum findings is one, that it is not only surveying people who use Slack. Because I think sometimes people are like, these findings are only tech workers who use Slack. This has nothing to do with the way that I work. And it's global which I think is really interesting, like six different countries, right? Yep. And then also that the goal isn't to be like, oh, you should use Slack more. It's more, how do we give leaders the tools with evidence to change the way that they're working? Because I think sometimes in the workplace, people get like an idea in their head of like, oh, well, this isn't working. Maybe we should try this. But they don't really have an understanding of what precisely isn't working. And then, you know, for our conversation today, like, people will just have this vague feeling of like meetings aren't working right for us, but they don't know exactly like what it is about meetings. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you make a really good point. So (laughs) my job is sort of split into a couple buckets. One is very focused on Slack, but this is not focused on Slack. This is just focused on understanding desk workers and their challenges. And Maybe Slack can be a, a solution, but maybe not. And the most important thing is that we really understand what is challenging people, what are the opportunities to make work better? Um, and everyone can use that as inspiration, whether it's designing new policies, whether it's designing new products, or whether it's you know creating new systems, whatever it is, I think just first understanding the challenges is the most important thing. And that's what this research really sets out to do.
2: And you're here today, I think, in actually, like, two roles, because not only do you have all of this insight from all of the research you've done as part of Future Forum, but then also you are a worker at Slack, right? Like, and you are trying to think about, okay, at Slack, how are we trying to make our own workplace habits more effective, right? Our own strategies. So I know that there's been some changes recently about meeting and meeting culture, stuff to do with, like... Fridays and that sort of thing. can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think maybe maybe just to set a little bit of context, one of the most important findings from the future forum research is the importance of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's obvious, but people really want flexibility, both for when they work. so ninety four percent of people want schedule flexibility, and eighty percent of people want location flexibility. And it's not just what people want. It also is very good for the business. So people mm-hmm. who have schedule flexibility have 39% greater productivity, 64% greater ability to focus. So this is this is good for people and it's good for business. And what gets in the way of schedule flexibility? Too many meetings. Yes. <laughs> and that's something that we pay really close attention to. At Slack is we send out surveys internally as well. So we want to understand, do people have enough focus time on their calendar? Do they spend too much time in meetings? And that's something that we pay really close attention to. And I think especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I think a lot of people experienced this. People were just spending too much time in meetings. And so we've done a lot internally to sort of experiment with how do we make meetings better? What actually needs to be a meeting? But we've also done a couple more drastic things. So at the beginning of the pandemic, we declared calendar bankruptcy. So we just mm. cleared off the calendar yeah. and slowly added things back that actually needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And you very quickly realize that a lot of meetings that we are used to spending time in are not great <laughs> uses of time. They don't need to mm-hmm. happen And we're fine without them, like we're still making progress, we're still hitting our goals. And so you really quickly realize what actually matters. Yes. And then sort of more in terms of like, ongoing upkeep, we have something called maker week, which we do twice a quarter. And this is a week where we clear meetings, not 100%, but most meetings are cleared that week. And it gives you time and space to do that deep focus work. And making is going to look very different for each person. Maybe you're an engineer and you're coding that week. Maybe you're a researcher and you're doing deep analysis. Whatever it is, everybody needs that time to focus. Um, We do that twice a quarter. And then every Friday we have focus Fridays, which is basically the same thing. It's meant to not have meetings, internal meetings. And you have time and space to finish up the week and prepare for the next week and not feel like you have to catch up over the weekend.
2: I love that. And we can talk more as we address the various listener quandaries about why I think other organizations that have tried to implement similar strategies sometimes fail. But Mm -hmm. the first thing I want to talk about is we got a, a reader question that was more of a comment, but I thought it was a great way for us to get into this conversation. And this person was commenting that in their workplace, there really is like almost a competition over who has the most meetings. Right. Like someone's like, I have nine meetings on my schedule today. And the other person's like, I've got 11, you know, like, and it becomes a means of highlighting just how much work you're doing, even though getting work done and having a meeting are not necessarily the same thing. Right.
1: Totally. How do
2: you think about that idea? If you were faced with a company that was that had this sort of culture of like the person with the most meetings is the person who's most important or the person who's most productive or the person who others see as most productive like how do you address that kind of fundamental misunderstanding
1: yeah it's such a it's such a great question people see meetings as like a form of status so the more yeah. meetings that i'm in the more senior i am or the higher status i am what i would suggest is so you know what is the intention so if 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 managers are setting up lots of meetings like maybe they think that meetings are actually a good thing Um, If we're going to assume best intentions, maybe they think that they're doing everyone a service by calling these meetings where I would probably start. I I really do think, and this is the researcher and me talking, that data is a very effective way to have these conversations. So if you go Mm -hmm. to your manager and you share some of this data, which is like assuming that they're coming from a place where they think meetings is helping the team, meetings are helping the team be more productive. If you can show them counter data that shows that actually Schedule flexibility is what leads to greater productivity. The importance of, of schedule flexibility gives us time to do that deep work. I think if you can start by bringing the data to them, it can offer a different perspective, which is that actually meetings get in the way of the actual work. And the more that we can carve time away from meetings, the more productive everyone is going to be. And so I don't know that that's going to solve the whole problem. But I think starting with data is a really, really great place to start.
2: Both you and I, I think everyone is on the same page that like there are some meetings that are very important, right? If you are doing collaborative work in this meeting, when the meeting has like a very clear agenda, no one is saying that we should get rid of every meeting on the calendar. But I do think sometimes it's worth thinking too about what is an elevation in meetings a sign of? And I just remember there was this data that came out middle of the pandemic. And it was showing, you know, how many meetings were called on average using data from, I think, some calendar service, basically, like how many meetings were called. And this graph showed, you know, a dip in the summer, Mm -hmm. a dip in Christmas and the number of meetings. And again, this is 2020. When school started again, and this was at a time, again, 2020, when a lot of kids were still at home and doing homeschooling, there was a marked increase in meetings. So what's going on there? Why would you have more meetings when kids are at home? You'd think actually there would be a decrease in meetings that, oh, the parents have more things that they need to be attending to. And my thinking, based on totally, (laughs) this is my like qualitative, not quantitative analysis, is that when you feel more self-conscious about, am I working enough, that you call more meetings.
1: Yeah. And I think I think it's also you call more meetings when you want to create more visibility for yourself. But I think also managers call more meetings when they feel like they have a lack of information. So like the status meeting is like such a great example of that. Like how many like how much time do people waste in status meetings where you just go around the Zoom screen saying like two minutes of what you're working on or what the status of your project is? And like, what is the purpose of that meeting? It's for visibility, Um, but like, there are so many other ways to get that information across that doesn't require everyone to be synchronously in a meeting for 30 minutes together, wasting their time. Like that is a perfect example of something that could be done in whatever your productivity platform of choice is, right? Obviously we do that in Slack. Right. Um, But I think, I think people use meetings as a crutch. It's a tool. It's absolutely a tool. But there are so many other ways to rethink the purpose and and what are other ways to accomplish that same task. We just dug into, I mean, meetings are so interesting. We just dug into some some data and the the TLDR is that we're all in way too many unproductive meetings and executives and non-executives agree with this. 43% of meetings could be eliminated with no consequences. Like that is crazy. Imagine if your calendar had 43% fewer meetings. Like, that would be life-changing. I know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I think about, like, you know, as a freelancer, I'm not even accountable to, like, a single manager or to a single company. But I do have many different companies and and stakeholders, for lack of a better word, that I am responsible to. And, like, just this morning I was going on a radio show and I had two different short brief meetings ahead of going on this radio show because they didn't know me well enough to know, even though I've been on the show before to know she, she doesn't need this meeting. Right. And so a lot of it seems to me like in various situations, like we don't know enough about this person. We don't know enough about this situation. We don't have, know enough ahead of this other meeting. We need to have a pre meeting. Do You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like there's this kind of backstopping that's happening, that which is not necessarily necessary. Yeah,
1: totally. And I think, yeah, I think, People use meetings as like a way to progress, right? Like if I call a meeting, I'm going to make progress. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get a decision. And I think for some people, like maybe some people who are on that radio show do need that pre-meeting because they don't know that person or that person needs more information. But I think that there's something really important about creating and enabling a culture where saying no and pushing back is okay. And so I think this is something that we've done a lot internally at slack which is has nothing to do with the product just in terms of how we work together like people will will say hey does this meeting actually need to happen and really push each other to send out agendas and if the agenda doesn't seem like something that you need to participate in it's totally fine for you to say no and to say actually it would be much better if i use this 30 minutes to do deep work or to do something else And I think the more that we can create that culture of pushing back and saying no, we can hold each other accountable to raising the bar for meetings, which is going to benefit everyone.
2: And I love, too, that you frame this as like pushing back can actually be a way of being better at your job. It doesn't mean that you're not committed. It doesn't mean that you don't like your coworkers. It just means that you're thinking about the purpose of the meeting so i could talk with you just like philosophically about meetings for another hour but i think we should answer some specific <laughs> questions Sounds good. so our first question is all about the panicky feeling that you get when you look at your calendar and it's just like blocked off forever like dawn till dusk this is from becky and our producer melody is going to read it
3: my department went fully remote during the pandemic and work in general has been pretty accommodating But this has led to a new culture of just constant virtual meetings, done at 11.59, in a new meeting at noon. In person, you physically had to walk to and fight for meeting space. Not anymore. Meetings with tight agendas are fine, but some people just meet to ramble, and there's no accountability for this either. We all have so much to do, so the meetings feel necessary. The half-hearted management attempts at fixing this, suggesting no meeting blocks, ending 10 minutes early so everyone gets a break, none of it works. And even management has a hard time respecting their own suggestions. But how can staff lead from below to regain some breathing space back? Oh,
2: so this to me sounds like a bad leadership problem. Um, what is your take when you when you hear this question?
1: Well, okay. So the last thing the person said was something about like, how do we get back breathing space? Yeah, when I hear that I hear that, you know, there's there's no room to breathe, there's no room to do deep work, there's no room to focus. And so it feels like there needs to be like a complete restructuring of how work happens within either that team or that company, however big that that thing is. Yep. And what I have found to be really effective in this situation is to create sort of like these core working hours. So With the assumption that focus time and deep work is important, and hopefully management agrees with that, what are the times of the day where you are actually going to be synchronous together with your team, where you're going to be available to answer questions, available to jump on a meeting? And different teams are very different, so this isn't a one-size-fits-all, but let's just say that it's like from 10 to 1 every day. Um, Those are the times where you're going to have, you're going to be available for meetings, you're going to be available for feedback, you're going to be available for synchronous work. But everything else is off limits, because that's when you're actually breathing, doing deep work, doing that focus work. And I think what that does is, well, it sets clear expectations. But it also is a forcing function, like we talked about to reset the bar for meetings, because you don't have 40 hours of options to to set up a meeting, you have what is it, 15 hours of core collaboration hours. And so you start to just be much more picky about like, hey, I only have 15 hours a week to meet or to do synchronous work. Does this actually need to be a meeting? Maybe we can just handle this offline or maybe this could be a quick Slack channel or a Slack message. Um, And so I think think they need something more drastic to sort of reset expectations for how this team actually needs to get work done together. Yeah, to me,
2: it seems like, you know, you could do the meeting bankruptcy, which which you guys did, and I know other places have done as well. But then maybe if you just if you declare bankruptcy, it just like you just have to do it every year. Like you're not actually addressing the root of the problem. And what I see here is something that I, I think a lot of places struggle with is that there's not a willingness to essentially audit the work that you're doing hmm. Like what do we actually need to get done? You know, the speaker says we have so much work. It feels like all of these meetings are necessary. But if it feels like all of these meetings are necessary and that pushes any of your deep focus work into hours that you're technically off the clock. Right. Or into like really long, long hours of, um, you know, on the weekends, after hours, that sort of thing. Then there's too much work. Right. Because that that sometimes is a problem, right. too, is right. that like we have taken on too much and we need to limit our scope. That's a harder conclusion to come to as well. But like sometimes I think someone needs to say, "All right, pause. <laughs> what are we doing here? What is necessary? Right? And it, but I think you're right as like right. a shorter term fix, if, <laughs> limiting those numbers, <laughs> the number of hours that are available, even to to be colonized by
1: meetings, that that's a good first step. So they talked about like a lot of these meetings feel necessary. Yeah. I would I would push back and say even necessary meetings can be redesigned. Yeah, even if like you feel like that thirty minutes of, of of live time together was productive, like there's still a chance that it could have been done in five minutes asynchronously. Totally. And I also think like getting into sort of like the inclusion piece, like meetings are not always particularly inclusive to people. Mm. Um, whether it's, you know, time zone related, whether it's because that, you know, you're dropping your kids off at school and like that 9 a.m. status meeting is like really hard for you to make, whether you're the introvert who has a hard time speaking up in live meetings, like there's, there's also benefits to not doing it in, in Zoom. Uh, The other one that I love is like if you, if you put it in, in Slack or Teams or whatever your, your platform of choice is, then it lives there forever and people can actually like engage with it even if they weren't able to make it live. Right. And so I I would say that even necessary meetings have room to improve and have room to be redesigned into something different. Yeah. I think the,
2: the difficult thing here is that the leaders seem to not be respecting their own boundaries that they've put around it too. And I, I've heard this from a lot of people like, oh, we have focus Fridays. And because of that, you know, our managers are like, let's put the meeting on Friday because no one has a meeting then, right? Like, it becomes actually a place to put meetings. It's just done secretly.
1: And that uh, that seems very destructive to me. So this is this has 100% happened at Slack. And what has worked is continuing to show the data. So continuing to show the importance of this. And continuing to remind leaders, like, I'm happy to, to reach out to leaders and say, hey, your team is still struggling because they're not able to fully participate in Focus Fridays because they keep getting meetings. And sometimes people just, like, this is a new way of working. Yeah. This is These are new behaviors. And I think we do have a responsibility to not give up if it doesn't work right away, but to keep pushing at it. And leaders can push at it, you know, individual contributors can push at it, everyone can do that. And I think it's a collective responsibility that we all hold. Um, But I I do see people giving up a little bit too early. Um, And I think this takes time and it takes a behavior change.
2: That's such a good point that like, we are in the middle of a really dramatic shift in the way that we think about work for people who do desk work, right? Like that, the -hmm. flexibility in, in location and also in time, a lot of the ways that people are working right now were unthinkable four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And some of them are difficult to to make those long term changes, and we're going to take continuous maintenance. But as you pointed out, the accessibility point is, is really great, like inclusiveness, but also to having that transparency of having like, the meeting happen in a place where other people can see it. It's really powerful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, like, it, it allows ongoing conversation and discussion throughout the week. So like, why is from nine to nine 30, the only time that you can actually like have the conversation about the topic? <laughs> like what if you learn something right. new an hour later or a day later? And if it's somewhere digital where people can participate throughout the week, it invites so much more engagement and so much more progress. Um, So yeah, the point that you were making about how this is new, we're still learning. Like, I do think that People need to sort of invest in sort of a culture of experimentation and innovation because we don't have all of the answers yet. And we're not going to have all of the answers. And we're going to continue to sort of struggle with this new way of working. And we see so many, so many benefits. And so we know that this is like the right direction, but we don't have every single thing figured out yet. And so continuing to experiment and continuing to redesign, I think, is is so important for people to invest in right now.
2: And in a lot of ways, this is like the conversations that I have about flexible work, like it's exciting. We get to figure out how to work better. Sometimes it's frustrating too, but it's also really exciting like to to be able to shape the way that we work to better fit people's needs, right? And wants and all those sorts of things. Like that's a worthwhile reframing, I think.
1: I agree. I agree 100%. So, okay. to,
2: To summarize... This person (laughs) can, I mean, I think like there's not a ton that they can do themselves to dramatically change meeting culture as a person who is not a leader. They can though, especially if they've been there for any amount of time. I think that they can start like thinking about ways to push back and to think about like, does this need to be a meeting? Is there a way that we could do it this way? You know, there are all sorts of ways that you can start thinking about Working, also having conversations with your manager, if it's someone that you trust or with other coworkers about the meetings that you are having on a more lateral level, like is this a meeting that we have to have? So there are things that can be done, I think, to to begin, as you know, to change the culture of meetings, even if it's not happening from the the top down.
1: Yeah, and I think when you push back on, does this need to be a meeting? you're not just saying no for the sake of saying no, you're saying no to open up more time to do other types of work. And so I do think like, it depends on how comfortable this person is, but if I were this person, I would want to sit down with my manager and sort of understand like I'm spending all this time in meetings. This is the core part of my job. Maybe I'm an engineer and I need to write code all day. I I can't make both of these work. And so there, something needs to happen about meetings being reduced so that we can create this time for, for deep work. And I think if it's not just I'm trying to say no to meetings, it's I'm trying to create more space. And if, if you sort of frame it that way, then it becomes something that we can work on together to get to a place where
0: there's a better balance. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. Whether you are a bride, a guest, or just looking for an everyday fit, Honey Love is your go-to for all things shapewear. Honeylove has revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners this week. You can get 20% off your entire order with the code WORK at Honeylove.com. Support our show and check them out at Honeylove.com. Use the code WORK. So... Shapewear is really uncomfortable, but I also want to talk a little bit about how bras just generally are very uncomfortable. And like we've kind of normalized this idea that there should be wires that are just like sticking into your ribs at all times. Like I have all these memories of ill fitting bras from when I was younger that you would wear until like the actual wire was just poking you and then you'd keep wearing it for a little while (laughs) because you're like, I guess this is just my life now. I personally have been very dubious about. Bras that promise to have the feel of underwire bras without the underwire. I've tried some in the past and I'm like, no, this just doesn't feel right. Like, I just don't feel like things are under control. But, you know, I got one of the new Honey Love bras in the mail the other day. And I have to say that it actually it's pretty amazing. That same technology that they use with the bras to make it feel like you have that same sort of support without the actual metal like poking into your body. It also applies to the way that their shapewear works. Their superpower short is the go to. It has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want to have more support and then areas where you do not want that extra compression. Their Signature X targets and sculpts your midsection without actually just like squeezing your natural curves into nothing. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. And Honey Love also is more than sculpt wear. You know, I already talked about the bras, but there's lots of other stuff. There's tanks, there's leggings, all of it with the same sort of support. Honeylove is just as easy to put on as it is to take off because shapewear, like, you know, any other thing that you wear after your clothes, it shouldn't be hard. Their products make you look good and feel good. Whether it's for a wedding, an event, or just an everyday boost of confidence, Honeylove is the perfect plus one. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com with the code WORK. Use the code WORK at honeylove.com. That's work at honeylove.com.
2: Our next question is about a specific kind of meeting, and maybe we can help this person come up with some alternatives. The question is from Rachel, and our colleague Ashley is going to read it.
4: I work in marketing, and my team used to have an excessive amount of status update meetings at least twice a week with just our team or parts of our team, and then several additional bi-weekly status update meetings with folks not on our team where we'd all go around and report on what projects we were working on and what their status was. The vast majority of the time, there was nothing to discuss and no sticking points, just a status update and then move on to the next item. It was so dreadful. Recently, we've thankfully reduced the number of these kinds of meetings quite a lot, although not to zero, but some of my co-workers are grumbling about missing the status updates and tried to sneak them back in, and I worry we're going to end up back in the same boat. Is there ever any use to a meeting where everyone reports on what they're working on? And if so, how can I get some value out of this rather than just zoning out for most of every meeting? If not, how do I convince my coworkers that we should just keep going in the direction of fewer work updates and more just doing our work? <laughs> All right. So we we're just talking about status meetings. So we have a lot
2: to talk about here. But I, I think that like this is someone who maybe like read a piece in like Harvard Business Review about status meetings or something. He was like, let's do it, you know, and then the people who are like, I miss the status meeting. First of all, who are these people? (laughs) But I think probably they are missing something. I don't know if it's the status meeting. So what's your reaction to this question?
1: So I think (laughs) I status meetings. No, like (laughs) not useful. Like, I'll just say that outright. What is the purpose of a status meeting? A status meeting is to create visibility. I think there's like an accountability piece too, right? Like if you're required to like report your status every week, then you feel like you need to do work to be able (laughs) to report. So like, so yeah, so that's, that stuff is useful. It's something that the asker said was like, they just zone out. So like, if you're just there to like, say your status and then zone out, like that is the definition of (laughs) a a useless meeting because you're not even listening. Yes. Um, Yes. And so I, I would say that this is a perfect example where the content is probably useful, but the mechanism in a live meeting is not the solution. Yeah. And so I think this is like the classic. This should be in writing in some sort of digital platform. Yeah. And so if you do if you do like a weekly reminder in like a Slack channel like hey what's you know what's the status of your project? Do you need help? Are you blocked? Whatever those questions are, then it becomes something that is much easier for you as the teammate to report your status on because it doesn't have to be done at a specific time. It also makes it easier for people to engage with it. Again, it doesn't have to be at a specific time. It can be whenever is convenient for you. Um, and then if there is something that, let's say somebody posts, you know, I'm blocked, I don't have enough resources or this approval hasn't gone through yet, maybe that does actually warrant a discussion, but it probably doesn't need to be with the entire team. Yeah, It can just be with those two people who are actually having the issue. So this is like, yes, we used to do this in a meeting before the pandemic, but like this is a perfect example of something that is ripe for redesign.
2: Yeah. We used to have when I was at BuzzFeed, a bot that would come on Slack and at, you know, I think like 9 a.m. my time say, what are you working on today? And at least for me, it was really useful because it gave me an opportunity because I was remote to highlight here is what I'm doing today. And sometimes the thing that I would be doing would be looking for my next story. Right. And so it was totally normal to say poking around, looking for a new story or deep in reading today Whatever it is, it just kind of broadcasts that idea. Or sometimes my manager would be like, I have a ton of meetings today. If you are desperate for feedback on something, here's the other person to get in contact with, right? Again, I just found it so useful and so low lift to know what other people on my team were doing. I also loved knowing like the other writers on my team. This is what they're working on.
0: Without having mm-hmm. to
2: you know, feel weird or, or competitive or anything like that about asking, "So what are you doing today?" That sort of thing. So I think that it it worked really well in that capacity. Why do you think that an organization might resist that? Is it just tradition? like wh- wh- what are these people who really love the 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 informational meeting? like
1: what what do they actually want? I mean I think yeah, I think I think some of this is like it's just it's just how things have been done and change is hard. I do think that managers probably get a lot of use out of status meetings. Mm, Um, It's a way for them to consume that information really quickly. Um, And, you know, I think individual contributors feel like they have to perform um, in order. And and so the manager is benefiting from that information. But when you look at sort of the amount of time and the number of people who are required for that and to the point of the question asker, like they just zone out like Mm -hmm. that is such a waste of time. Um, it's not that there isn't some value for the manager in this meeting. It's just that there is a way for them to get that exact same value and not waste the time of everyone else. Yeah. Right. Because if I, if I read the statuses of all of my teammates, it would probably take, you know, five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would get all the information that I need. The manager would get all the information that they need and think of all the time that you save. Um, so I do think some of this is about like control and also just like tradition. Like you said, this is just the way that it's always been done and change is hard. It really is. So I have a little bit of empathy for, for yeah. managers who don't want to change. Yeah, I do <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Our next question, it feels like
2: one of those like logic puzzles that we had to do in middle school. Let's hear from Katie.
3: I manage a team of engineers located in both the U S and in Europe. We work together to create one product, and both sites are proud of their respective areas of expertise. However, we're really struggling with the time zone differences. Efforts to make every project only located at one site results in experts feeling excluded, worse end results, but working together results in work creeping earlier or later than is healthy While we've been successful in implementing flex time, the early mornings and late nights are not healthy or sustainable. It's been hard to make decisions stick if they're not made in a real-time meeting. Have you encountered any tools or policies that make international work effective and sustainable? So I feel like this
2: question is one that more and more companies are going to grapple with if they're not grappling with already, basically being a globally distributed company in some capacity, even if on the ground, people are coming into the office, you know, you have this time zone difference. So what have you seen in terms of different organizations working to rectify these difficulties. I, I appreciate that the question asker is like we've tried making everyone just do it at, you know delegating the the work to just one place and another place and that hasn't worked. So what do we do now?
1: Yeah, this is a tough one. So we talk a lot about like team level agreements which are like you know again it's not like a one size fits all it depends on like the unique needs of your team and what you're actually trying to accomplish but you know having a conversation about like how are we actually going to work together more flexibly? What are the types of meetings that we need to have in order to make progress? How are we going to make decisions? Maybe we're going to make a decision that all decisions need to be made synchronously in meetings, Um, but sort of talking through how are we all going to work together and when are we going to come together and when are we going to have our focus time? And, you know, one of the sort of outcomes of a team level agreement is the core collaboration hours that we talked about before. But if we find that, you know, let's say that there's like two hours of overlap between these time zones. I think you kind of have to draw it out and it depends on the situation. Yeah. Um, Then we're going to use those two hours in these specific ways. We're going to start by talking about all the decisions that we need to make, have our brainstorms, have our discussions, and then leave those two hours with like these decisions made, right? Like you need to sort of figure out how are we going to make it work with The constraints that we have. And the constraints that we have are that we don't want people to work really early. We don't want people to work really late. And so we have to make the most out of the overlapping time that we have. And if we make these types of decisions, if we make this type of progress when we're synchronous together, then when we go away and have our sort of deep focus time, we can just execute on that. And I think people need to get, teams need to get really, really specific about how do we make it work with what we have. But I guess what I would also say is, I also think we need to be realistic. And so as we're thinking about starting projects and as we're thinking about like, okay, we're going to kick off this new product or we're going to kick off this new initiative, what's going to be required in order for that to happen? Maybe it's like really clear, we have clear goals and it's really just about execution. And it really doesn't matter where people are, but maybe it's going to be like a highly iterative project where we're always going to be getting feedback from these people. We're always going to be needing that like, time together to move forward. And maybe that's actually not going to be particularly conducive to people in three different time zones spread out all over the world. Yeah. Um, So I do I do think we need to be we can make the most of, of the situation that we're in. But we also need to be realistic about what's going to set a project up for success and make that decision at the beginning versus like three fourths of the way through when we realize that things are broken.
2: Yeah, we can't bend time. So if there are only two to three overlapping hours, how do you treat those hours as incredibly precious? And how do you also for the people, because there will be one of those teams that wakes up in the morning, does a full day of work, and then has those overlap hours. Yeah. And another team that wakes up in the morning is slammed with, oh, my gosh, here's like this other team that has been awake all day and suddenly has all of these questions. How do you create some buffer?
3: So that mm-hmm. you don't have
2: one team like slamming their needs into the other at all times. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be mindful of as well when you are arranging those precious times. And I think too, like if, if you have people on your team who are like, oh, I come up with an idea or a question. I just really I want to get it off my head. I want to make sure that I address it. I want to send a message now. Learning delay send, like, that is a, like a good friend of yours. And I'm guessing yeah, this yeah. person probably, you know, they're trying to do that on their team. But then your final point, too, I think is is excellent that, you know, maybe those people, those experts who feel like, oh, I'm not getting consulted. Maybe they need to deal with that a little bit. Like maybe some they're yeah. not always going to be consulted in every single corner of a project when it's not a project that's happening in their time zone.
1: Right, and then maybe there's another project that they can be on that's like more yeah. conducive to their their way of working or their time zone. Um, yeah, yeah, like you said, like it's you can't bend time, so we have to do what we can um, and make hard decisions. So
2: our next question made me laugh because this person did not know that you were going to be our guest. This is Wakas.
3: When are people going to realize that these massive Slack threads with hundreds of messages? the new meeting
2: so as a as an official slack person is this rumor true is there are there no more meetings are we only having slack threads from here here on out well when you put it like that
1: <laughs> no but when I heard the question I was like oh this is music to my ears <laughs> like yes slack threads can replace meetings and it's magical when that happens because you don't have to wait for a meeting for work to happen it can just happen in, in slack um, So I guess a couple things that I would say is um, I I do think that a lot of people are already realizing this and are like effectively replacing what used to have to be a meeting with some sort of asynchronous work in Slack, whether that's channels, messages or huddles or clips like there's lots of different ways to make progress that don't require jumping on a Zoom together. Yep. But one thing that I would say that I've that I've seen a lot of is um, and I don't know that this is what the person was getting at when they you know said when will people realize but my interpretation of that is like when when is leadership going to realize mm. that is happening mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> is that oftentimes, executives and leaders are not using the tools that their teams are using. 100%. And we hear this all the time where executives are like, oh, like, I'm too busy to be in Slack, just like email me or like text me if you need me. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a shift, like we're, we're in the middle of the shift, some of the shift has already happened where a lot of synchronous work has been um, replaced by asynchronous work in Slack and Teams, whatever it is that you're using. But if executives aren't there, then they're not seeing that happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like they're just not where the work is happening. And I think they're really missing out on on sort of participating in in that work and participating in that shift. And so it's happening. And if you're not there, you're not going to see it. So I have
2: a question about how you can prevent Slack threads that are functioning as larger meetings go off the rails. Because I have seen this happen. Again, I used to work at BuzzFeed. Uh, and sometimes there would be kind of like a back channel, essentially, of like an all hands or there would be a ask our CEO anything, right? And and one of the, I think, real utilities of that channel was that people who would feel uncomfortable raising their hand and an all hands, right, and saying, here I have this difficult question about pay discrepancy, say. Or what is happening with our stock? Why is it being weird? You know, those sorts of difficult or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. questions that just make you feel uncomfortable. It's easier to do that in some ways in a Slack channel, but then I also mm-hmm. think like sometimes too there's the way that like people use reactions in passive aggressive ways. <laughs> you know, like how do you create or how do you talk to an organization or a team about creating a culture that I, I really don't want to say professional here because I think like professionalism is, is, you know, <laughs> a tenant of white supremacy most of the time, but yeah, yeah. that just that it doesn't become a passive aggressive shit show. what do you have any suggestions on how companies can think about
1: that? I think people need more guidelines for how to engage with Slack. Yeah. And it's something that we spend a lot of time with internally and we advise companies that we work with as well um but the same way that you would have guidelines for how you treat your coworkers in an office setting it's the same thing like that should there should be a digital equivalent to that yeah and i think people sort of forget sometimes that that emoji on slack that is associated with some sort of meaning and and it it, it creates you know perhaps negative feelings for the person who's receiving that emoji. Yeah. Um, And I think that there's, there's a lack of sort of Slack etiquette and guidelines at many companies who use Slack, but it's something that we have internally that I think is really helpful. So it helps create very clear expectations for how to engage. And, and we also, because we have those expectations, people hold each other accountable in Slack. Mm -hmm. And so if there, if a question is going off the rails or maybe it's like going off topic we have an emoji that we use it's the raccoon emoji which basically says like this is not the place to have this discussion take it mm. somewhere else mm. and so like little little things like that if you have the clear guideline then you can you can people feel more comfortable sort of in politely and, and gently enforcing that yeah so participating in conversation digitally is new for some companies and something that we'll often say is like if you're not going to say it to somebody face to face like don't say it in slack you know yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, And that sounds so obvious, but, like, people don't really realize that sometimes.
2: The other small thing that I would note is that, like, if you do have emojis that mean certain things in the Slack parlance of your organization, that is part of onboarding, is having someone explain to people what that is, because it is an invisible curriculum of the organization. And if you just leave it to people to, like, think that <laughs> they're going to figure out, like, what... The trash panda emoji means it in your, you know, like that's something that you need to make legible because sometimes people don't Absolutely. know how to. It will take months to figure out that they're
1: doing it. Yeah, it's like the slack code of conduct.
2: Yes. So we have a last question that shows that there is no one size fits all to this question of, of making
3: meetings work. This comes from Keisha. In a world where meetings at office jobs have gotten out of control, I actually have a bit of the opposite problem. In my role, I do quite a bit of work on my own. However, getting feedback and coordinating on a daily and weekly basis between members of my team is rather important. We get by well enough on Teams and email, but in an effort from my colleagues in more senior positions to cut down on as many meetings in their schedules as possible, they keep trying to cut out one of the only two meetings that I have with them each week. It seems every couple of months or half year, they try to cut out this one half hour meeting only to quickly realize how important it actually was and bring it back. I feel like my senior colleagues have amnesia at this point and it's frustrating to have to keep reminding them what works and what doesn't for our team. Especially when we don't have this one half hour meeting, it bleeds into several hours of random Teams chats throughout the week that are confusing and inefficient and instead, ironically, could have been a half hour meeting I'm not the only person who suffers from this yo-yoing situation, but no matter how many of us speak up, the pattern always seems to repeat. I'm so tired of having to quote unquote up manage my boss. What can be done?
2: So I feel like this person is like taking some of the advice that we talked about earlier and they're getting rid of what they feel are unnecessary meetings. And then their team is like, no. So what do you think is happening here?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. So, um, I think what we're hearing here is that actually not all meetings are bad. There yeah. are ex- lots of examples of very productive meetings, and we should keep those meetings. My assumption here is that, like you said, the manager somehow listened to those podcast
2: <laughs> <laughs> From the no, future. They, they, <laughs>
1: they're, they're, they probably have the best of intentions. Yes. They They themselves are probably spending too much time in meetings, and we see that executives have I think on average, it's like 25 hours of meetings per week versus 10 hours for non-executive. So they're all they're feeling overwhelmed. They're probably trying to do their team a favor mm-hmm. by reducing the number of meetings. So they think that they're doing a good thing. But I think um, maybe they've just swung too far. Right. Yeah. In, in the in the other direction. And, you know, executives like they don't it's hard for them to have a pulse on everything. Like I have a lot of empathy. It's you can't keep you can't have eyes everywhere. So there's a really important role for this person to play to help them understand like hey there are actually we're missing something by not having these meetings. And what I would suggest is if if that person starts by sending an agenda to so let's say that they have a meeting in a week with an executive Send a meet, Start to send that meeting agenda like five days in advance and say, hey, like, here's here's some things that are on my mind that I would really like to discuss next week. Yeah. That exec is going to be very unlikely to cancel that meeting if it's clear to them that you have a need for and a need and a purpose for that meeting. But they probably don't know that because they're thinking that they're doing you a favor. So I think there's a role for that person to play to, like, make it clear, like, there is a purpose and there is I really need this meeting. And here's what I want to talk about. Yeah.
2: This is just me speculating, but I imagine that the meetings that this manager probably should be getting rid of are ones with their superiors, right? Or other people at their level, like, but they feel like they can't get rid of those ones because they're too important. And so instead, the place where they're doing these cutbacks are on -on one-on-ones, right? Or on meetings with the rest of their team. And like you said, they think that they're doing them a favor, but they're actually creating more work for everyone. So I, I love the very straightforward of advice of sending the agenda to underline like this is an important meeting. And sometimes, too, I think it's very like people on both ends of a meeting should feel empowered to say, we don't have anything to talk about this week and we don't need to have this meeting.
1: Absolutely. But to your point, like, I'm not sure if this person is specifically referring to one on ones. Yeah. One-on-ones are very high on my list of like meetings not to cut. Yeah. There's so much value in connecting with your direct reports every week or every other week. I think, you know, it depends on your relationship, but, you know, if there's nothing to talk about, absolutely cancel it. But that connection and, you know, that, that care that you can show somebody by meeting with them and checking in on them and understanding how they're doing. I think that's so important. And like that to me is one of those one of those meetings not to cancel. Yeah. So if that's what's happening here then Yeah, that's great. <laughs> send your agenda.
2: <laughs> well, and also too, I think it's kind of like therapy where you're like I have nothing to talk about this week, right? It might seem like you have nothing to talk about this week and then as soon as you show up for the one-on-one, actually you have a lot to talk a lot about to that talk week. Okay? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So protect those ones and then think about the other ones that don't have as high of a priority. But okay, So we've got the advice, send the agenda, communicate how important it is and that it's like a very valuable meeting for everyone on the team. And hopefully this person won't continue to try to get rid of it every every month (laughs) the way that they have been. So can we wrap up our meeting philosophies in like one sentence? My meeting philosophy is that I don't hate meetings. I dislike status meetings. A lot of times people just have meetings when they haven't read their email. The end. Um, What is
1: your meeting philosophy? (laughs) I was going to say that flexibility is really important. Meetings get in the way of flexibility. Meetings that enable work are the best ones to keep. Mm. That is so much more coherent than my (laughs) philosophy. I love it. It's really good.
2: (laughs) This is is the title of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much
0: for joining me today to talk about meetings if people want thank to find you, m-
2: fun. more about
1: you and about future Forum and about your role at slack where can where can they look on the internet so futureforum.com is a great place to check out our work we post all of our research there um i am a little bit more hidden online but you can always find me on linkedin yeah yeah that's the place.
2: thank you again this has been great
0: Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you've got a workplace quandary you need help figuring out, get in touch. Some episodes we're working on include issues around parental leave, how to care less about your job, and then we're doing two more My Industry is Broken episodes, one on veterinary medicine and one on writing for a living. So if you have questions around how to survive in those industries, even though they're broken, you can find submission guidelines at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. Don't forget to follow us on Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Twitter at Anne Helen, or on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson. And you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at AnneHelen.substack.com. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producers are Kendra James and Sandy Girard. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Allison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. Next week, we're talking about setting boundaries between yourself and your workload, your boss, the parents of your students, etc., etc., Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.